Shalhevet High School presents the Radical Moderation Podcast. Here's your host, Rabbi Ari Siegel. Hello and welcome to the Radical Moderation Podcast. I'm your host, Ari Siegel, joined today by a special guest, a good friend, Tali Germain. Uh, for those of you who do not regularly follow the podcast, I'd ask that you Take a listen. If you enjoy it, give us a five-star rating so it'll pop us up on the uh, favorites and so other people can hear it as well. If you, As always, if you have any questions, comments, feedback, a.segal at shalhevet.org, S-H-A-L-H-E-V-E-T.org. So I won't spoil the surprise about how Tali and I first met because that's a question that I'm going to ask Tali at some point. And Tali has continued to have a relationship uh, with me and with the school that I run. We've brought her in a number of times over the last few years to help work with our students and our faculty around issues of diversity. Uh, we live in a pretty closed bubble at the Shalhevet High School. And so it was important to all of us, both students and faculty, that we started to expose our, our community to people outside who had different perspectives and different life experiences. So Tali, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. All right, let's start off. Let's do it. Best purchase under $20 you've made in the last month. Ooh, that's a good one. Stan socks. What? Stan socks. Tell I'm me. wearing some right now. Are they just like funky socks? Funky socks. I Are, love them. That's so cute. Is Stan, <laughs> Who is Stan? Stan's. I have no idea what the company, like who started the company, but they have these socks that are um, just well made, but also um, tell a story. Oh, so that's, let's, Stance, S-T-A-N-C-E? Yes, and I have a ton of them now, um, but my favorite pair I'm not wearing now um, is a pair of socks uh, with Biggie Smalls on them. Mm. Um, and, and as a Brooklyn native, I am really proud to wear Biggie Smalls socks. Hmm. So that, that gets us right into my next question, <laughs> and I may be showing my ignorance. Biggie Smalls is a rapper? He is. Okay, so Tali, I know from your visits to Shall Have It that you're like a soup, you're super knowledgeable in the rap space. That's, Ooh. You love it, right? I do. Okay, so I know basically nothing about it, which is not, <laughs> I, I'm not proud of it, but you know, I, keeping in mind that I'm an Orthodox rabbi, I've got, I have delicate ears, my, you know, in terms of profanity, sexuality. If you were giving me one rapper that I should listen to, uh, or a particular song even, just to mm. deep, deep dive into uh, the waters of rap, what would you, where would you direct me? I mean, so much to, to think about, but I would say um, one of my favorite rappers is Lauren Hill. You may know her from the Fugees. Um, Miseducation of Lauryn Hill was really a profound record. Included both R&B music as well as hip hop. And it told a lot of stories, not just about her origin, but the issues we face in education. Um, and there are snippets in there um, that are still relevant to, to today. So I would point you to the Miseducation of Lauryn Hill as an album. Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. And, and it's not just the music, but the messages there are talk about the, the, the messages are awesome, and, and the, the music transcends time. Huh. By the way, I feel completely alone because my sound engineer is like the words Lauren Hill. He started getting happy. <laughs> Tali clearly knows, and I'm the, I'm the uh, ignoramus over here. So, All right, last question to help the audience get to know you a little bit is, sure. what are you reading now? Ooh, um, I'm reading a ton, actually. I'm reading a, a, a recently published book by Clint Smith, who is... Uh, 
a poet, um, a, an educator, um, and I, I became aware of his work. He's also a Harvard graduate student, I think, at this time. Um, I became aware of his work through YouTube um, because he spoke a language I really understood. So I'm reading Clint Smith. Um, what else am I reading? Um, I love to read The New Yorker. Hmm. Um, and, and just actually last night, re-upped my order of The New Yorker um, because I think it's, <laughs> it's such an important publication. Um, I read a lot from Afropunk. I don't a know if Afropunk? You, Afropunk. It's a publication that essentially captures a lot about African-American and, and black diaspora culture, actually. Um, and it gives a different narrative than what you would typically see or hear in other spaces. Um, in terms of other texts I'm reading, uh, man, I'm, I am reading a few texts. There is another book um, I, I'm reading recently called Real Impact, and it's about measuring social impact and philanthropy. It's recently released um, by someone who used to be um, in the, or is currently in the philanthropy space. And just, I see that now more, it's far more common. Donors wanna, they wanna give and they wanna give generously, but they wanna see the specific impact of the, where the money's going and, and how it's impacting the, the uh, causes they're hoping to impact. Okay, sure. Tali, so tell us who you are. I, I remember, uh, I'm gonna, I won't even jump in and, and, and ruin any of the surprise, sure. but I remember meeting you when we were, together at the Aspen Institute in Aspen a few summers ago. I don't even remember how many at this mm -hmm. point. Um, and really being taken by your story. So sure. can you share the short version? The short version. Well, I was born in Haiti. I won't go through every year of my life, but that was obviously an important moment for us and for me. Um, and lived in Haiti for quite some time. Lived in Haiti um, during um, the the coup d'état that um, essentially got rid of the Duvalier regime. Um, and that was also a really important moment for me because as a young person, school was not in session for a long time. And that's essentially what brought me to the United States. Um, moved to Brooklyn, New York, where for the first time in my life, um, it became clear to me that race was a thing. Um, whereas when I lived in Haiti, predominantly black community, um, although there are other challenges that we face, racism was not something that I was acutely aware of until I moved to the United States. Um, when I moved to the United States, to Brooklyn, New York, I lived in Crown Heights, um, which is a community um, that at the time was predominantly um, uh Black Caribbean as well as um, Jewish. And so that was also an important realization and moment for me in terms of awareness, um, et cetera. And then uh, from that moment on, I think I became an activist immediately, right? Understanding even at 10 years old that some things just were not fair, equitable, and I wanted to be a part of changing that. And that's still my orientation in life. Um, how do I every day take action that betters the environment in which we all live? So Tali, I remember, first of all, you, you sharing a little bit about you had a sister yeah. who kind of, and how powerful it was that the two of you took very different paths yeah. and, and the impact that had. Sure. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, my sister and I are best friends. We actually FaceTime every day, multiple times a day, even though we live in the same city now um, and we see each other quite often. Uh, one of the things that I think happened for the two of us in our educational experience was that I was in a classroom with a teacher who was bilingual and spoke the language I spoke and my sister was not. And I think, um, and I've actually never said this to my sister, I think that that 
initial experience really impacted our confidence and our ability to learn and and, and to to value school um, in the same way, right? Um, and so as a result, I think what happened was um, we took really different paths in terms of our educational attainment um, and, and, and in, in terms of our love of learning. Um, and my sister was just naturally extremely talented, but I, but I could see her giving up a bit. And I remember being in a meeting with my sister's teacher and my mom. And we, my sister and I didn't speak English at the time when my mom started to cry. And uh, the teachers essentially told her that my sister had to be placed in a special education class. And my mom at that time started asking a number of questions of my sister to better understand what her experience was. And, it be, and, and by the end of the meeting, we realized that something really simple had happened that impacted my sister's ability to learn. When you learn to write in Haiti, you learn to write in cursive. When we moved to the United States, everything was written in print. And so my sister, trying to make meaning of each individual letter, thought they were words, thought every letter was a word and was trying to make meaning. And it took her an extremely long time to write things down. Um, and once like we caught that, it, you know, things became a lot simpler. But those initial moments really impacted our experience of school in the U.S. It's wild. I, and that clearly stuck with me. I mean, this is a few years mm -hmm. ago. And I remember uh, in that program that we were on together, uh, you, you mentioned some of the challenges that you had faced as a, a woman of color, black mm -hmm. woman. I don't know sure. what, the, yeah. um, what term you'd like mm -hmm. me to use, but you I, can use whatever, whatever I want. Works. I know you, yeah, I know you're I'm, like that, I'm, Tali, but I, I just, <laughs> I'm trying to do the, be respectful. No, you're great. Um, and I remember my first instinct was not a negative one, but just like, oh, okay, come on. Like how bad, how bad could it be? Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, I remember how emotional you were sure. um, and sharing your story. And it was sort of like, I had never almost been in a room with somebody who was, who had emoted so mm -hmm. uh, authentically. And it was, it was, uh, t I was almost taken aback. And you started to describe just some of the little things and little experiences that we take for granted. And when sure. I say we, I mean, me, just someone who's grown up in the United States, mm -hmm. you know, you you go to school, you don't need to speak anything but English. Sure. Uh, there's there's no chance that you might be with a, a classroom teacher who doesn't speak your language. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, within one tiny moment where you have a teacher who's bilingual, you're you know you're clearly your fire was lit because you're sure. you're you love to learn and and just grow and and think. And your sister had this setback because it was what other. Uh, feelings of, of racism. I mean, I know you said when you came here, you saw racism. When you were sure. in Haiti, you didn't see that. What was that like as a 10-year-old, you said? As a 10-year-old. Well, I'll tell you a really um, simple story uh, that that captured for me um, a lack of equity and unfairness. When I was 12 years old, I lived in Brooklyn. And something we do in Brooklyn is we sit on the stoop, right? That's the front stairs of a an apartment building or a house, et cetera. And we hang out and we joke around and it's fun. Summertime. Um, and so I was sitting there with um, good friends. There were a few of us and a couple of cousins. And a young man walked up. We were all about t between 12 and 14 years old. A young man walked up and literally stabbed my good friend approximately 17 times. Um, everyone was in shock. There was blood everywhere. 
Um, and but that is not the part of the story that moved me as much as it 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 it, it should have. Um, so the the young man who walked up to the stoop ran away, um, and someone went to call nine one one, and we are trying to help my friend feel get better or or stay alive, right? Um, if I'm being honest. Um, there were literally no adults in that moment, right? And that moment feels fast, right? It feels fast and it feels long. And and to be completely honest with you, no ambulance ever arrived and no police ever arrived. And that told me a story about what equity looks like in a very real way. Um, and obviously he lived and we got him to the hospital, but but at 12, you realize that things aren't always fair. Right, that your 911 call may not get the same response as someone else, um, and 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 that was a pivotal moment for me. Also, um, I'll tell you another quick story. When I was um, in middle school, um, the Rodney King riots had happened in L.A., and um, I had a teacher, Mrs. Buxenbaum, and I love her. She's literally one of my heroes. Um, she introduced me to literature in a way that I would have never had access to it. Um, and she, she remained a mentor for me, even when I became a teacher. I was in fifth grade when I met her and I called her when I was thinking about becoming a teacher in another city, right? So just to give you a sense of how important she's been in my life. Um, and Mrs. Buxenbaum was essentially um, outraged by what had happened. And there was a march in Washington, DC. And Mrs. Buxenbaum offered to the families um, to attend the march in Washington, DC. And I had the opportunity to go. Right. And to be with her and to to participate in, in one of my first marches as a young activist. The other thing that I'll share about Mrs. Bucks and Mom that um, changed my life was she took me to the Schomburg Museum in Harlem for the very first time as a young person where I got to listen to Nikki Giovanni. Right. Like those things are, are things that really changed my life. And, and the point of, of, of saying these things is that um, while you also realize inequities, you also you get to realize the beauty um, in coming together across lines of difference, right? Or the beauty um, in your own culture, right? Listening to Nikki Giovanni at the Schomburg is amazing and incredible um, and gave me a sense of identity and culture. Huh. So I, I remember when we were together in Aspen, um, it was a pretty safe space. It was intense. There super was a lot, safe. Super safe, <laughs> and it, but very intense. And I remember um, wanting more clarification, like, Tell me what I'm missing. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a white guy. Mm -hmm. Everyone's using the word privilege. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I was mostly in the Jewish community my mm -hmm. entire life. So, I, and you know, it was I wasn't on college campus sure. when that term was being used. And so I just, I, I really, totally, authentically did not, un, I mean, mm -hmm. I understood I had a great life. Sure. But I kept asking questions. And you, I mean, everybody there was incredibly respectful and shared. And mm -hmm. we got to a great point. I know that, or I believe today in social justice circles, it's considered almost like offensive to ask a marginalized group to share their experience, like almost like you're re-victimizing them. Mm. Um, at least that's my understanding. Sure. Like to ask a woman to explain why it feels, you know, when she's walking mm. or how it feels to be in the corporate world sure. and to not, or to ask a black person, you know, to mm -hmm. tell me about your racism because almost as if they need to defend mm -hmm. their marginalization. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet on the flip side, I think what was so valuable about my ability to just 
you know, I don't want to say be an idiot, but just say, hey, Tali, tell me what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just explain it to me. I'm sure. not there. Was that we we grew in our understanding. And I feel sure. like sometimes I get where the it's a very empathetic response mm-hmm. or an ex- expectation that we don't want to make a black person tell us about the about the racism they've endured sure. or a woman to tell us about, you know, the misogyny or the, you know, mm-hmm. glass ceilings she's had to endure or any or any group. Sure. Um, but then we miss out. And I feel like that's some that, you know, almost in the title of the podcast, this radical moderation. I think that's where the greatest growth comes from is when we can have that intense, mm-hmm. honest, transparent conversation. Um, and so I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, the the thing for me is that I, I'm firmly grounded in who I am. Um, and I was talking to someone recently about the fact that for a long time, I, I, I held on to a lot of shame about the racism I'd felt or I'd experienced, right? It was almost as if someone is is um, imposing something on me. And instead of saying to them like, hey, you're imposing this belief about me, I held on to that as if it, were, it had been my fault, right? Um, but I'm firmly grounded in who I am and I don't feel as though I'm being re-victimized. I actually feel quite powerful in who I am. Um, I think I have a really unique story to tell. Um, I think, you know, someone asked, um, I was at an event, maybe it was at Aspen most recently, where they asked you to identify your gifts and your talents or your superpowers. And I would say that one of my superpowers is the ability to really bridge and make connections and connect with people. I mean, you can really put me anywhere. And I think I would thrive and connect with people and get to know them and really listen. And so my belief about that is it's important to tell stories and it's important to listen. So at Aspen, I felt completely, um, I felt like it, it was an, an easy thing to tell my story because it's my story to tell. Um, I actually feel more offended when people try to tell it for me, mm. right? Or when they generalize and say, X group feels like this. Um, I think that our stories are all unique, right? Within the black community, there are people with lots of different experiences, you know, you asked about my sister. We have had fundamentally different experiences in life. Um, and I'll just share another quick story. I'm Haitian, so we like to tell stories. We're Jewish. We like to listen to them. So that's good. <laughs> we just need food. I feel like um, that's... Next time. Um, so my sister was applying to schools for her daughter, who's five. Um, and I realized at that moment how much privilege I had earned right? Um, As a result of the path I'd taken in life, I was at Aspen, right? Like, and and I remember one time at Aspen walking by a a store and seeing this beautiful, beautiful dress and thinking my mother would love that dress, but she's never been to Aspen and she probably will never be to visit Aspen um, because that's a place of privilege, right? And, And that's not to say that my mom doesn't have other privileges, um, but that's one that's been afforded to me. So anyway, my sister's applying to schools for her daughter, my niece, and I love my niece. She's one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. Um, and I remember thinking, I knew so much about this this space, this private school space, and I could lend a hand. And so I say that to say that that my sister and I, we grew up in the same family. We have pretty much the same DNA, um, and yet we have fundamentally different experiences because of where I went to college, because I've learned to speak a language that allows me some power, right? Because I can be here having a conversation with you, um, you know, because I've, I've 
earn three degrees, right? Like there are lots of things that have earned me or given me some privilege. Now there are other, and there are other ways in which I don't have privilege. So I'll give another example. Um, I have TSA pre-check and I'm like the highest tier on one of the airlines. I won't name the airline. I travel a ton for work and, and for life. And so I would, every day, every time I would go to the airport, I would get moved to the non-TSA line. And every time I would talk to the person, it was the same person. And I would say, look, look at my ticket. It says pre-check. And, and he would say, oh, oh, sorry. But in his mind, a person of my age and a person who looked like me couldn't possibly be in this in this environment. Um, one time I was also in, in TSA pre-check where the person, um, the, I don't know, security person uh, said to me, do you know how to do this? And I asked him, I said, what exactly are you asking me whether I know how to do? Is it not take off my shoes or to leave my laptop in my backpack, right? right? Um, and he said, oh no, I was just checking. He hadn't asked anyone else. And so those are the everyday experiences, these microaggressions that really impact a person. I've also had really awesome experiences with, with TSA. Recently lost my driver's license and on my way to Denver and headed back to New York, uh, I did not have a driver's license. And so I had an awesome experience with all of the folks there in Denver. Um, but the point I'm making is like these experiences are extremely um, individualized, but they become these things that weigh on you. Um, so you just, I'll stop you, you, there. You said something that made me pause for a moment because I think the term microaggression, mm -hmm. I, I fully understand it. I will say certainly people I know and sometimes even mm -hmm. myself, I find myself thinking, is that term overused? Mm -hmm. And again, meaning... Like what? Nobody meant anything on that. They were just mm -hmm. saying, a you know, they were just asking a question. They mm -hmm. didn't, that's not a microaggression to mm -hmm. disagree with somebody. But the way you phrased microaggression is like, it's this unconscious bias. Meaning, I, I don't know that you're saying that mm -hmm. that's what microaggression means. Mm -hmm. But for me, that just took on a whole new level of meaning. I can't even, meaning that does feel micro, uh, like aggression, unintentional. Mm -hmm. You know, like, hey, do you know how to do this? Mm -hmm. Like, you're in the wrong line. You should sure. go to the non-pre-check line. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's someone's unconscious bias and racism mm -hmm. that's inside of themselves. Mm -hmm. And so a person who's, you know, whether it's a black person, a woman, uh, just anybody from a marginalized group is just experiencing that over and over again. It over kind of, and over and again. And it's like dripping into them, just, you know, like a drop of water, but like that keeps pounding into you and you almost assume it's on you. Until rather. it becomes a gallon of water. Yeah. Right? Like literally. So so I, I it, it, it had gotten to the point where I became hypersensitive to getting to the airport. <laughs> like just early, you mean? Or just like you wanted to In make general, sure? Like, like the whole experience was... The whole experience became... I, I don't want to say traumatic. I don't want to be dramatic about it. It wasn't traumatic, but it, it started to have an impact on me. And I, and I had to become aware of that and to sort of move away from that. And and actually the, the one person, because I travel at the same time, most of the time, um, who would constantly ask me, I, I got to know his name and I would say, Hey, so-and-so. And then all of a sudden he's like, Oh, right. You should be in this line, right? Like it's just another, yeah. the cognitive load becomes a burden, right? And it's a lot, you have to do a lot more work to, to have regular things happen in your life. Huh. And it's, you know, in that case, I, I would say it's not, it's not racial profiling. It's just, a, a, a almost, um, like, you know, they're just putting people in categories. Um, 
Israel deals with a, a, an interesting dilemma, which is they, they do a lot of racial profiling in the Israeli airport for safety reasons. Um, and so it's, I can imagine for the people who are subject to it, I understand why Israel security has to do it, mm-hmm. but I can imagine it, the cognitive load for someone who looks Arab, someone who looks you know a little bit outside of the box of what they're looking for for security protocols. And but but is fully you know just traveling for business or, mm-hmm. or pleasure and is looking for nothing more than a, mm-hmm. a flight out. The cognitive load there could be just overwhelming. It's uh, overwhelming, and then there there are certain privileges you just will never have, right? Yeah. No matter how hard you work for them, they just they just won't happen. And I and I also think like it does impact your psyche to some degree, right? It's not just oh, let me get through this TSA line. It becomes this thing about your identity. Imagine if I were um, 12 or 15, right? Constantly having to watch my parents. I have a daughter now, right? So if that is the experience she has with me every time we travel, imagine what that does to her development, right? Like it goes well beyond my individual experience as an adult. There are other things happening that then impact my experience. Um. I have one more question and one, well, I have a half question and then a, one last question sure. to end this uh, this episode of Radical Moderation Podcast. So you talked about, I, I also hadn't heard this term, uh, earned privilege and sort of like inaccessible privilege. Mm-hmm. Is that something you think about often, meaning that there's privileges I mean... that everyone has the opportunity to earn? Maybe they're not ever going to be put in the position to be able to earn it, but they're earnable. And then there's privilege that people are just, some people are born with and some people will never have that. I don't know if I categorize it like this. I think I've, I said it this way because for me, I had to work hard for things that some people just get, mm-hmm. right? Like some people just get to go through TSA. Like that is just their privilege. Um, and so the, the reason I say earned is, is that, so, it, you know, when you're at the highest tier, this happened to me too, um, uh, with your airline. And I'm using these examples because I think they're easy for people to get, right? Sure. They're simple. Um, there are lots of others that have happened in my life. But so so you earn your miles, right? And I have a lot of miles. Um, and so when I, I've earned that, like everyone else who's there, right? But what I don't get is the same experience as everyone else who's in my same tier. Mm-hmm. So for example, I, I was once, it, I literally, I, I was, I was, Coming from vacation from Tulum, Mexico, um, which was awesome, by the way, if you haven't been. Um, and so I'm in that highest tier. I So I go to the line, right, of that tier. And the woman says, can I help you? And I say, yes, I'm checking in. And she says, you are X right. in, a, in a question. And I said, I am. Um, and she was extremely rude. And I said to her... In that moment, you know, I've earned this status that I have, like everybody else, and I expect you, you to treat me this way. Um, but these are the things that you you literally, like, I'm on vacation. I'd love to have a great trip back home, right? I'm in my zen mode at this point. Um, but, but I say earn privileges because I feel like I have to work harder for it, right? I had to work harder to be successful in it my university experience, not because I didn't have the talent, but because I went to a predominantly white university with lots of affluent people. And to some degree, I didn't have the social capital. There are things I had never experienced, right? Um, I'd never been to Europe, 
right? Many of my classmates had. I, I didn't have a private school education. Many of my classmates had, and there are things I didn't know, and I had to learn them. I had to learn to navigate certain circles. Um, and so I realized my lack of privilege there, but I had to work for it, right? I had to work for people to accept that I should be there. So that's what I mean by earned privilege. Got it. Well, I'm not going to ask my last question. I'm going to save it for the next podcast. Okay, sounds good. So this has been awesome, uh, Tali. I hope people, if you've enjoyed this episode, you'll give us five stars and that you'll tune in to the next Radical Moderation podcast with Tali, where we'll talk a little bit about what she's doing now, what Equity Partners is, which mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to hearing about, and dive deeply into the idea of radical moderation and get some of her thoughts on the balancing, balancing act between social justice and various communities and working together. So thank you for joining us, and I look forward to uh, talking with you on the next podcast. Thank you.